out a blink of an eye. Life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 2, Blind Faith. Hello, my dears. I love hearing from you. I love that you feel you are experiencing deeper connection with yourselves and healing from listening in to season one. Isn't that amazing what we can do for each other? And here we are now in season two. I just had to share this beautiful message I received from Jane, who lives on the east coast of the U.S. in Maryland, who wrote, that she listens to Blink of an Eye with her physician's son, David. He's in North Carolina, and he is a resident surgeon at a hospital and works in an emergency room. David is now talking to Jane about how he wants to change some of the hospital protocols that do not allow families to see their loved ones. He says his eyes have been opened to this tragedy. And how much suffering... It causes families. So he's using his voice in his family system to make a request for change. The ripple effects of our stories are so uplifting. David, yes, those families need you to champion that. And it will be better for the hospital, too. The more trauma-informed policies there are in hospitals the more quality healing care there will be. It will be amazing when it happens and a real contribution to the well-being in the world. And not just for patients, but for their families and loved ones. And not just for families, but for nurses and doctors too. The power of one person who uses their positional power to speak up for trauma healing, humanitarian change. (laughs) Wow. And happy birthday to Tom in Pennsylvania. June is my birthday month too, Tom. Well, I hope you all rested during our hiatus between seasons or perhaps you caught up on season one. For those of you who haven't finished the 34 episodes in season one yet, no worries. In case you missed it, we put together a montage for you in Season 2, Episode 1. Are you ready for this new episode? I hope so. For right now, as we continue to venture into Season 2 of Blink of an Eye, let's get grounded as we enter a new season of storytelling, insights, and trauma healing. And get prepared for new pathways and unexpected turns around the bend. We will explore in episode two, 
one reaction to crisis and trauma when we narrowly focus on only what is essential, especially in communication, as that is often all that the traumatized person can take in. There's no time in crisis for the inessential. You might relate to this in your own life, in any very stressful situation, when something is going very seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. Life or death wrong. Mm-mm. Things get so clear, don't they? This episode will also be about blind faith and collective faith in God and what it can do. We're about to pick up our story where we left off. Do you remember where that was? It was quite a hair raiser for me and my family. Archer had just flatlined in a heart attack, and I felt evil in that room. I will also share with you now, on a regular basis, beginning with this episode, the daily updates which I was writing to my family and friends. At the request of our daughter Paula, I began to send her my updates on Archer, which up to that time I had been texting out to everyone. She wanted to relieve me and would send them for me, she told me, to our family and friends. Well, she began to post on Facebook believing it would be the fastest way for me to communicate with family and friends to cease my nightly cutting and pasting text messages. So it was this day in the story, in 2015, when the first update was posted. Who would have imagined the ripple effects of a small group of people and their friends and their friends' friends? Over time, readers of these posts came to refer to them as the Archer blogs. I didn't have any idea of this digital phenomenon. For me, I was merely updating my family and friends with Paula's help. The writings are very personal, often raw, giving a glimpse of what it is like in an ICU with a catastrophic situation involving a child or any loved one. (laughs) And holding on to hope. And... I wrote those updates with my thumb on my cell phone. It's hard to believe because many are quite long for being written on a phone. But most were written in the dead of the night. When it quiets a bit, it's really the only time you have when you are bedside to a loved one in an ICU. And if you've ever been in an ICU with a loved one, I don't have to tell you that. Okay, here we go. Back to August 2015. Take a deep breath. Settle your spirit. Get comfortable. And thank you for giving your time to listen today. I hope there's a benefit for you. Here we go. Life can change in the blink of an eye. August 13th. Day 9. 
Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, thank you, Lord. We made it. Thank you, flight crew, all of you. How did we get here? Because we believed. Because we believed what was possible. Or because we got rescued. Or because we wore out our welcome at Atlanticare as they ran out of options for us. Whatever the reason. And all the above. It was a long 30 days in Atlantic City. But we had more to deal with before we even thought about Atlanta, Georgia. Here's what happened. I was still reeling, wondering what just happened. Yes, I sat bedside to Archer in room 3117 in the trauma ICU with all the alarms sounding code blue and watching the medical techs beating on Archer and screaming at him to wake up, wake up, Archer. It was unceasing. The team of men with their paddles rotated. Another team alternated with huge suction cups. And I watched as if I were far away. They were beating on Archer's chest so hard. Was he dying? Why were they doing that? They were yelling, cardiac arrest. Please, Lord, help us. He can't slip away. The minutes were passing. I felt desperate. Do something, Louise. I too yelled at him with all my heart. Archer, stay with us. We love you. You will have a good life. But there was no response. He was slipping away. What I forgot I did until I looked back at text messages was that in all this chaos, when there was no heartbeat and Archer remained flatlined, I sent out this text message to the 25 family and friends on my family text list. It was 3.50 a.m. in the morning. Here it is. Oh my God, wherever you are, wake up and pray. Pray with all your heart. Archer is in cardiac arrest. Five years later, seeing that text flooded my memory bank. I felt every cell in my body light up as if I had been set on fire. Yes, we needed help. I could not do this alone. I remembered it so clearly now. I remembered thinking all those medical texts, they couldn't do it alone. More minutes passed and Archer was still flatlined. No heartbeat, no vitals, no anything. And the medical team was working so hard. I could see the sweat dripping from their brows. As I also watched the second hand on the acting chief of trauma's wristwatch ticked rhythmically around the face of her dial as she sat next to me, motionless. Archer had no response. 
More than six minutes passed. The medical team began to slow their paddles. Oh my God, no, was it over? I looked around the room and it was then that I sensed what I told you about before in the last episode of season one. There was evil in that room. I saw it. I felt it. No, no, it's not his time, right, Lord? It's not. Get out. I screamed to evil as I waved my arms around the room. Yes, I must have seemed like I was crazy, but I wasn't. I saw that evil. I could not let it strangle Archer. He told God he wanted to live. I've already told you what I did. But the room was eerily dark and still. It was not yet dawn. There were no more alarms or sounds of machines. There was no more anything. We all stood watching as if we were all holding one breath. Please don't abandon us, Lord. I thought I would bore a hole in the monitor with my silent prayers. Live, Archer. Live. Beat, heart. Beat. I was concentrating so hard on that monitor to indicate life again. And then we heard the faint single beep and saw the little blip on the screen of Archer's heart monitor. Yes. Yes. Thank you, God. Thank you. He's back. Come back, Archer. Please come back. And then another rather extraordinary thing happened. My phone pinged with a text message. Oh my God, someone was responding to me. I was stunned. (laughs) I was buoyed. I looked down at my phone and it was my brother, Will. Will, of course. He's a horseman, probably at the racetrack, up before the crack of dawn. I felt a certain collapse in gratitude. His text read, Praying hard for Archer. And I felt the tears trickling slowly down my cheeks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mother Mary. Thank you, Will. And then there was another text. My niece, Maggie Smith Brzezuskas, praying my hardest, all my love. It was 4.24 a.m. And then my sister-in-law, Sue Sempt Smith, texted me, we are all praying hard for Archer, non-stop. It was 4.39 a.m. Oh, my sweet Lord, I knew you would send me angels to remind me we 
are not alone. Thank you. There was a gasp with the one beep, but the staff still remained still, watching, watching. The room hung in a spell of heavy, silent waiting. Please, God. It was as if everything was suspended, and I didn't know what to do. I remember feeling my Mary medal in my pocket, and I began praying out loud, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And my phone pinged. It was William again. He said, 17 of us in prayer circle this morning at track early a.m. Started with five of us and grew. We love you and praying for God's love and mercy. Hail to Mary, also, who's full of grace. I love you, Sims. <laughs> oh, yes. Hail to Mary, full of grace. I remembered it all now. I felt such comfort as I waited for Archer's heart to beat again. I knew it would. I had a chance to interview my brother, Will, about this morning and the turn of events and the number 17, the number of people in his prayer circle. 17 has a special meaning for our family. It was the sports jersey number for all five of our kids for all their various sports throughout the years especially soccer and lacrosse. Here's an excerpt from my recent conversation with Will Phipps. I do remember having sent it until I saw it. Do you remember receiving it? Or was it a similar situation? So I, after reading, uh, the screenshot of that text you sent me, I remember because of the detail uh, in, in the text, of course. But it was a it was a a quiet morning at Saratoga, as you know, and uh, we were we were unloading a surprise of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and donuts to the Bill Mott stable, and um, the text came up, and we're feeding the help, and and. Uh, a few, a few of my my known Christian friends around. I asked them to to say a little prayer with me. I think it was five of us, and uh, pretty pretty shortly, all by itself, five turned into seventeen, and a circle formed around a picture of Archer on the cell phone, and the story unfolded, and the prayer started, and uh, it was we're trying to find a common prayer that would translate in English to Spanish, but um, it ended up being the, the Hail, uh, Hail Mary in, 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 in Espanol. And um, that's what we said. And uh, it was there and it was gone, but it was a special moment for sure, a very powerful moment. We were not the only ones in that room. I was not the only one in that room with Archer, besides the care 
the medical team. There, there were many others. And I just think all those others were angels. Uh, some, some living and some not living. But I know there were angels in that room. And I think those 17 people you gathered were part of that angelic choir. That doesn't, that doesn't just happen either. So. Well, I did it. It happened by itself. It wasn't, it wasn't by design. That's just it. it none of it was by design. In fact, I, I didn't even remember. I didn't remember this. And it was so powerful. It's so funny. It was as if somebody else was working through me as, as it happens, I guess, time to time. But um, hmm, here we well, are. That's exactly what I what I was writing about, actually trying to explain this without sounding like a fanatic or, or without sounding like, like like you think you're as good as God. But it, it's like something was was working through me too. It, it's just it, things were just happening because I was supposed to be doing something. You were supposed to be doing that. You were supposed to have received that text. I mean, it's just all these crazy little particles that um, were put out and connected just as they were intended to connect. I yeah. think so. I see. I see that happen from time to time, and I believe that, especially if we, if we ask for it, especially if we ask how we can be of service. Uh, I think it's a really powerful thing to do. It was amazing, like a tangible sign of the hope I was desperately hanging on to. I think it was Mother Mary who brought us all together. <laughs> I do. I knew she was there. I felt comforted. You know, that too is extraordinary to me as I look back. Maybe you've had a similar experience. That in the midst of total chaos, medical failure, losing a life, the death of your child, how much blind faith, simple, blind faith can bring hope and how much shared faith can change events. I believe that is what happened. You know, I thought I'd share a few other texts I received that I'd forgotten about, but that I found in the text archives Billy helped me retrieve. I wonder what you will think of them. I share them to illustrate what it's like juggling life when a child or loved one is in an ICU and you are far from home. But also how crazy it is that it was this type of daily stuff that I was still texting others about a mere hours before all hell broke loose without any warning when Archer went into cardiac arrest. Here are some examples. Baltimore neighbor, Kara Kohler, 4.47 p.m. I think some of the kids have left notes for Archer at your house. I was going to check and send them. Shall I send all your mail as well? 
regarding some cookies dropped off for us. Heather and Lou Bruno, 4.59 p.m. I'm so pleased that you ate. Your physical strength is so important. It's made with love, and you are all in our continual prayers and thoughts. My text to Kara Kohler, 4.59 p.m. You're sweet. Paula will pick up tomorrow and bring. She comes here on Thursday night through the weekends now. Thanks for keeping an eye on the house. Could you check on Coco in the backyard during the day and the front too at night? Another neighbor's taking her for walks. She's a pretty good guard dog, XO. My text to Billy Sempt, 5.03 p.m. Thanks for working and doing that mediation. See you in the morning. Drive safely, XO. My text to our son, Petey, 5.04 p.m. Couple things, Pete. Dad's stuck in mediation in Virginia. I'll cover the night shift. I'm going to bed now. Can you and Dewey take turns resting tonight until I get there? 11 o'clock or midnight? Sent to my sons, Petey and Dewey, 5.07 p.m. Please set your alarms for 7 p.m. tonight to pray. Hold hands together over Archer if you could. I wanted to pray with the Order of Maltas around the country and my high school's prayer vigil, also at 7. Tell Archer and ask if he'd like a Hail Mary or Our Father, or do both, XO. Sent to Billy Sempt, 10.03 p.m. It's covered, honey. I was thinking it would be too much. Just be safe driving. I'm going to bed now. I'll get there between 11 and midnight. You get a good night's sleep. While driving, though, at 7 p.m., join Order of Malta across country and Sacred Heart High School for 7 p.m. prayer vigil. Love you. Sent to Dominic, a young man who worked with Archer at the Cape May Beach Club. 11.27 p.m. Yes, Dominic. His visitors are limited now, but he and we would love to have you come. Afternoons are best or after work at your convenience. Room 3117 Trauma, ICU. That's very kind of you. Text received from Janet Conway. Dear Louise, As an orthopedic surgeon, I have a lot of connections in Philadelphia at Jefferson, Penn, and St. Christopher's. Let me know if you have any designs of transferring Archer to one of those places. I could make some phone calls for you to facilitate. Praying hard for you all. Text received from Julissia Lambruschini, our once-a-month cleaning service. 11.08 p.m. Hi, Louise. We came today, but no one was home. Wasn't sure if you were away, but we also missed the payment. Get it to us when you can. I was about to leave Cape May to drive back to the hospital when I received this text from Sandra Babiak, the mother of one of Paula's dear college friends. It was 10.42 p.m. She had texted a picture of a stone-carved statue 
of the face of a woman, one I did not recognize, but was very serene and beautiful. I paused to read her text before I got in the car, she wrote. I went into an empty church yesterday during my lunch break, Church of the Assumption in New Oxford, Pennsylvania. When I went to turn the kneeler down in the pew I entered, it was broken off its hinge. I walked out to find another, and in front of the broken one was a pew with the kneeler turned down. I took it as an invitation. When I looked over, there she was. I was thinking she was St. Teresa, but when I got up to leave after saying the rosary, I saw she was labeled St. Rita. From what I've read, her parents were peacemakers of the neighborhood. She is known as the Saint of the Impossible. Her marriage was not the best, and her two sons were like their father. She entered a convent and was very involved in the Lord's passion. She received a thorn-like wound in her head. I remember watching a movie on EWTN about her life. I'm hoping your day had something in it that brought you some relief, as fleeting as it may have been thought you might like the picture of her. We'll keep praying. I did like it very much. And I thought about it as I drove. Someone else had also sent a relic of a saint. I believe it was Saint Peregrine. I'll have to look that up too. People are so thoughtful and seem to know just what to say and send. The Essentials. Sent to our son, Petey. 12.08 a.m. I'm here. 2.19 a.m. I texted Pete, who had covered for me, and who stayed around and left the hospital to drive home around 1 a.m. 2.19 a.m. text. Forgot to ask you, did Archer have visitors we turned away? Let's not turn anyone away. 2.30 a.m. I responded to my friend Nan Heller in California. Thank you, Nan. I've not been able to write more myself. The words are very painful. Please keep praying for us. It's really big things, like shutting down my mediation practice to care for Archer and Billy, thinking to work for someone else for medical benefits. So I can be by Archer's side, and Billy thinks that's best for Archer too, if he is to make a recovery, whatever that looks like. Please pray for our discernment as it unfolds and that my heart still repairs itself every day it breaks open. I find inspiration when I'm with him and he's alive. 
There's so much to be thankful for. He's lion-hearted. Sending love, dear friend. And a way you can also help is to tell everyone you know to go to www.beingrelational.com or Amazon to order the book. It comes out in bookstores September 1. That will help. I've canceled all book launches, so ordering online will be appreciated. XO. At 2.33 a.m., I texted Sandra Babiak to respond to her sweet story she had sent me. I didn't know her well, but I was touched that she had texted me. I texted her. That story is beautiful. Thank you. Yes, there are miracles happening all around. If we are alert and open, please pray another rosary. Thank you. And the last text I sent before I curled up in the fold-out reclining chair next to Archer and closed my eyes was at 2.45 a.m. It was to my friend, Catherine Boyne, who is also my client at Johns Hopkins Hospital, where I do facilitation work. I wrote to her, 2.44 a.m. Yes, please keep praying. And if you're willing, will you be on our exploratory research team, you, Paula, and Dr. Ken Williams, regarding rehab options? I'm still a go with our JHH meetings and work. I don't want you to worry. I will cherish the opportunity. I will just be back and forth a while. It's important to me that you know I won't miss a beat on that. Thank you, Kath. Sending love. I really thought Archer would recover. We'd go to rehab and he'd walk again in a few months back in Baltimore. And then bam, how did this happen? Why did he have a heart attack? As I look back and think about that now, it's either fantastical, dramatic fantasizing, or it could sound like the thinking of a lunatic. And maybe it was a bit of both then. But that heart attack, I knew something had gone wrong. It was not supposed to be that way. We were fighting something evil in that room. But God was also in that room. I felt both. I think it was God who whispered to me, to wake up my family and friends, gather them. I could not have done it alone. The path to save Archer was collective. I know that may sound like simple childlike thinking, but that's how it was. It was so simple and so clear to me. I knew that was all I had to do. I lifted my cell phone and wrote the following text to all those I had been texting over the week. 
It was around 9 a.m. I imagine it was quite startling. Archer went into cardiac arrest at 3.45 a.m. this morning. Please pray that Archer has the will to live. Please keep us in your prayers. And pray to the Blessed Mother Mary. She always listens. I'll never forget the feeling I had as I hit send on that text. I felt compelled to gather friends to pray and to pray to Mary because I love Jesus' mother so much. I've always felt close to her ever since I've been a little girl. After all, she was just a young girl, a teenager, when she became a mother. And she grew to be a beautiful woman, the woman in blue. And she endured and witnessed so much agony. I've tried many times over the years of my life, ever since I was a young girl, to imagine what it must have been like for Mary to have watched her son being spat at and whipped and tied and bound and condemned and helplessly watching his excruciating agony when they nailed him to a cross and then watching him suffer death while others jeered at him when his only message and last words were to forgive. What was that like, Mary? How did you raise a son like that? And how, with simple sandals on your feet, did you crush the devil who tried to darken the light of the world God created? You're so powerful. And Mary, you're such a protector. But you're also so gentle and so loving. How did you endure watching your son suffer that way? Oh, Mary, help me to endure. I want to feel your strong, loving arms around me. I can't do this alone. Whatever faith tradition, Christian, and all the major traditions, everyone knows Mary. I have felt close to her all my life. Perhaps you have too. And I needed to feel her presence in room 3117. I so wanted to feel her arms around me and around Archer, us, as he lay lifeless. I remember thinking as my mind raced, Mary instructed us to listen to her son. And I remember saying, Jesus, Lord, tell me what am I to do? Please tell me what to do. And that's when the idea came to me to ask my friends to pray.
my Jewish friends, my Catholic friends, my friends I had no idea what their faith perspective was. It didn't matter. Yes, if we had the same intention for the highest good, our different faiths should not divide us. No, the same intention for the highest good would unite us and lift whatever suffering Archer endured and give Archer new life. I heard that whisper. I felt it in my body. I felt it. It was around 4.20 a.m. That was the path. It was really quite a night as the dawn was breaking in the room. You know, even as I tell you, I remember exactly where I was in Archer's room. And I remember everything that was going on around me in the eerie waiting moments. And I do remember sending the text and how it felt so natural. There was an ease. We needed unified prayers in that room and many of them. And I knew they would come. And when they did, it was like It was like fresh air in that room. And I remember feeling like I was in partnership with God. That if I could just stay and listen to his whisper. And all my friends and I prayed really hard. Archer would be okay. We'd make it. As each text came in, I began to feel like all these people I knew loved us were already there in that room. I imagined them. I heard their voice. I felt them. I felt their presence. I had never done anything like this in my whole life. I mean, telling people, you know, like about my belief in God, I had never made open requests like this about faith in my life, been so public about my belief in God. I mean, with people who are not Catholic, or even with Catholic friends. And I do remember a slight hesitation. I think it was image. They might think I'm a fanatic or a holier-than-thou kind of, who are you? But I put that aside. It was Archer, my child, He was dying, but I didn't think it was his time. It's not his time, right? Right, Lord? Something has gone wrong here. This is not how it's supposed to be. He had talked with God and chose to live. He hadn't had a chance to live yet. 
I was so confused. Was I supposed to let him go? But I was also so clear. I don't know how else to explain it. You know what I mean if it has ever happened to you. Everything you love slipping away, trying to accept it, but everything's so clear that it's not the time of death. I wonder if you've ever had such a similar experience. And all of this was happening in split seconds in my thoughts. The few beeps on Archer's monitors were not getting stronger. So I hit send, and I sent that second desperate, crazy text to about 80 people this time. Friends, even clients, those who had been texting me and knew, and others who didn't even know Archer had been injured. I was not holding back. Something was loosened in me. And as I sent it, I again experienced this peacefulness. It was like divine presence was with me. It really was. I did feel that. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. And I remember the next feeling I had. I got up from my chair and took a step towards Archer lying there. The feeling was in my whole being. I knew that anything mundane, anything that was not essential, was not necessary anymore. There was such crystal clear clarity. Believe, I heard the whisper in my ear, was a thought. Believe, Louise. It was as if any and all mundane aspects of my life, anything that was not essential and anything that held me back from living into what was possible, from fully believing what was possible, anything that distracted that was falling away. It was not essential. All of it, all of it was falling away. And I was suspended. And only the true essential was in that room as I watched Archer. I felt a total surrender to what was possible. And that was the true essential. And Archer's life was essential. And my family and friends in my life 
or essential and believing was essential. We were all connected and we needed each other and we needed to believe because none of us can do anything alone. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Mother Mary. I love you, family. I love you, friends. Please stay with us. They came and hooked Archer up to a pacemaker and shot him full of dopamine. He was alive. And it was as if each slow, very faint beep of his heart beat throughout my entire being. The doctors came in and said he was not turning the corner. But I knew he would. Around midnight, I texted Paula this update, which she posted on Facebook to help me keep up with friends and family. It was the first Archer blog. Archer had a heart attack this morning at 3.45 a.m. He's very, very fragile and not turning the corner. But the machines are working and his body is allowing. I see the sadness and despair in the shape of his mouth. And when I see that, all his signs go low. He needs to believe. He has. I worry that he's waning in the will and belief. And it's manifesting this way. He won't let up on biting, clamping down his ventilator tube. Oh, please, Lord, grant him the will to live. And would you believe that at about 5 a.m., when he was at rest and we didn't want him to have any stimulation of any kind, we turned out the lights and hoped he'd rest. I watched the monitors and all the numbers like a hawk as they glowed in the darkness. I pulled out the recliner chair we have knowing I needed to rest too. They kept his room at 45 degrees. It's cold. I wrap myself in the hospital blankets and lay my head down. At 7.15 a.m., staff was back in and kindly woke me as I had requested to see the medication ordered and where it would be placed since we had had the medical error situation two days ago and I've demanded an investigation, an honest report that sent Archer into great distress for two to three hours and who knows what else. Yes, human error. So, 
I got up to approve another drip bag replacement at 8 a.m. And would you believe that as I stood up to inspect and Archer at rest with every hope to climb back in with the blankets still warm, another nurse came in and apologetically said she needed my chair for another room. (laughs) There went our one chair bed. (laughs) I feel the care and love that goes into the preparation of the homemade meals that sustain us physically. Thank you, dear Cape May friends, Kathy G., Joanne, Anne, and Heather. I continue to search for answers to why, knowing God has a plan. Today I ponder, maybe one of the whys for this tragic accident is the opportunity we have to respond with unity the love we can bring each other. Your prayers for Archer, for me, for Billy and me, for our family are being heard. Oh Lord, please bless each one of these dear people for being so kind and generous with their love and taking time to pray for us. Please pray to the Blessed Mother and give someone a boost, a hug, a small kindness. Even Archer in his motionless state, with no sensation in or ability to use his arms and hands, knows the love of hugs. As we know from his first hours post-surgery, when he asked Pete to hug him, and he wanted to hug James. There may be times when we may need some help wrapping our arms around each other, or times when we can be the help to lift someone's arms around us. We do truly need each other. Love It's a very symbiotic, chemical, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual thing. We are gladdened to be alive to experience it. Good night, dear family and friends. I love you so much. Please keep praying. St. Peregrine intervened for us today. Amen. And as Billy used to say to all of us when we were younger and our children were so much smaller, group hug. And please pray to the Blessed Mother who always listens. Amen again. Life can change in the blink of an eye. 
Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. If you would like to hear the trauma healing learnings that accompany this episode, tune in this Saturday to Trauma Healing Learnings Episode 2, Blind Faith. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. I See That was formed in response to readers of the 2015 Archer blogs and to Blink of an Eye listeners around the world. I See That knows that life can change in the blink of an eye. And I see that advocates are there to journey with you through the trauma experience by offering trauma healing awareness education and best practices for families, schools, and hospitals. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot org. listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.